0: Outside of a dog, a book is a man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. Groucho Marx. (laughs) That
1: was Brandy. I'm Kayla. This is Two Bitches Reading Books. That was a good one. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I was really going to try to get something that was going to like articulate like spooky reading and and how it gets you in like the mindset or something. But then I saw that and I was like, I love dogs. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to post a picture of my dog when I post this quote on Friday.
1: Okay. So should we get into it? We left off. Kate, 11 years before on page 130. Kate's
0: basically talking about the river walk and I remember like I was laughing at this part because she's talking about like the crown jewel of the town and that makes me laugh because I you know you go to the river walks of towns when you go there because it's something to do for free while you're like killing time between your activities it's always not that nice sorry the city makes it and then the homeless move in and the city's like well you guys live here now because we're not going to do anything to help you out sorry that's that's exactly what happens like but okay the crown jewel of this town they must have no homeless people
1: no not even a weed grows there
0: yeah I'm like you guys have the only maintained river walk where is this I don't even remember where this is set but like okay they have the best government and competent police as well
1: Apparently, because I was like, is this in Illinois? Because they, I feel like they make reference to Chicago, and then they make reference to Mississippi. So I'm like, maybe it's Kentucky, but why would anyone want to live willingly in Kentucky? No offense to our <laughs> listeners.
0: <laughs> I'm finding it so hard to live anywhere willingly except for Colorado. So yeah, I, I don't get it. <laughs> but apparently, somewhere in the Midwest, they have a very good town that takes care of all of its shit. But people are going missing left and right and being murdered. So I don't know. Grass, people, your priorities are weird. They're talking about the river walk because this is where the body, because we ended our last reading. So much has happened in this book since our last reading. Oh my gosh, I've kind of forgotten what happened. I know. Um, So we ended our last reading and they literally just said a body was found. I think we were both assuming it was Meredith. We're about to find out it wasn't. But we're talking about this gosh dang perfect river walk because the body was found at the end of it like at the end and where it like trails off and it's not really paved anymore and it's like bushes and more forest than like river walk
1: josh is there he went to go look for it and uh mary kind of just puts you in there and she said that the feet like the only
0: thing of the body that were out were the feet i hate it there's a line in here where Kate's thinking my heart is in my throat hoping and praying that it isn't Meredith or Delilah they've found and I'm like my heart is in my throat or my butt I don't know (laughs) it's not where it's supposed to be Mary man (laughs) the anxiety that I'm getting like it's this book it's the news and the watcher I just can't (laughs) trust anything I feel like us watch maybe it's just me but watching the watcher and reading this book at the same time I'm like all these fucking terrible neighbors are in on it yes <laughs> terrible
1: and I'm Everyone's like
0: was a suspect Kate is a suspect sometimes in my eyes yes and
1: after we watched the watcher I told Orlando I said if anyone ever tells you that there is a cult a blood drinking children cult in our neighborhood you fucking tell me
0: Right, I want right to know that now. too sweet, okay? That is hot, <laughs> hot news and I need to know it.
1: I will pack our shit and we are leaving.
0: <laughs> oh my God. And especially if they like die and then undie and it's all like solved because their son decided to kill some people in their house that looked like what right okay there is more than enough reason to get the fuck out of here thanks but no thanks I don't care how nice this house
1: is these people are crazy I don't care if I'm gonna be under I I need my
0: sanity yeah live in an apartment for 20 years I don't care that man Honestly, that show didn't scare me until the last episode. Everything up to that was just like, I fucking hate all of these neighbors. I would hate living in this neighborhood. And like, how fucking shitty would it be to be like house poor to live in this neighborhood with all these fucking people here? But that last episode with the scene in the staircase, yeah, I'm having such a hard time
1: at night. <laughs> that one was scary. Did you watch the final, final episode?
0: I did. Were you disappointed? It was kind of what I was expecting. Yeah. But I don't know. The story that the private investigator makes up, I, I'm not not convinced that it wasn't her. I know, right? Like, I, I, I don't know. <clears throat> Did you read the real life story that it was all based on?
1: Yes. So it just I seems read, like- I read like five different
0: articles because I was like, what is true and what's not? What do you think is true in the real life? When you think it was the people themselves or do you think the neighborhood was really fucking crazy? I think the neighborhood was really fucking crazy. I could see someone living in a house that big. Yeah. Well, and, like, people who live in a neighborhood for a long time, like... They think they, oh my gosh. I remember one time a friend of mine was telling me about how in her neighborhood in Florida, there are some cranes and some people were out there feeding the cranes. And she was like, hey, you're not supposed to do that. Like it makes them come towards people and then they're in the streets and then they get hit by cars and they're endangered or something like that. So you shouldn't do that. And the people were like, I've lived here for 65 years. I can feed the cranes. Like they're not your cranes. Just because you've owned a house somewhere for 65 years, you don't own the wild, that's not your dog. <laughs> and even if it was your dog, the vet would have some advice on when you should feed it. Yeah. Not when, but like how. <laughs>
1: oh my gosh. Violetta,
0: like, So I could see the neighbors really being invested in what's going on in that house and like creeping on it and having that little club to like monitor how people are changing their house and like judging if it's like true to the original. Just... Every part of that felt like it could be real life. Yes. And I don't know. I want to live in the middle of nowhere in a cave where nobody else is sometimes. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Same here. Same here. And I was just like, it kind of goes back to local woman missing because it's like, those neighbors are also.
0: Everyone in the neighborhood seems guilty. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yes. And like, so much stuff is going on. And not all of it's connected. Like, what is happening that this much crime is happening in this one little neighborhood? I'm assuming it's one subdivision if they can walk to each other's houses. That's what
1: I'm thinking.
0: Oh, my goodness. It's crazy. But, you know, somebody did get shot in my neighborhood in April. Or not shot, but stabbed. And then we thought we heard a gunshot in, like, August. And this is a relatively good neighborhood with a brand new, nice school. So I guess it can happen anywhere. I just made my... Neighborhood sound like there's some gang violence going on here it was mostly domestic violence though <laughs> so much <it's sighs> better which is what I mean, we also get into in this book it's not so much better it's just you know so much more often that it happens yeah it's just like how it's spun that that's it's it's like gangsters or whatever the like the youths no it's it's misogyny yeah <laughs> yes you divorced me so I'm gonna break in and stab you to death yeah a lover's quarrel We are so far away from the book. Actually, we're like a book adjacent because like so much of this stuff fucking happened in the book.
1: Exactly. So it's just like we're kind of on it. We just went on a sidetrack, but now we're getting back to it.
0: Yeah, we're coming back. So they're all on Josh and Meredith's lawn and Josh is back or he's not there. He's gone down to the river to see the body. Obviously, the cops want him to see if it's um, Meredith or Delilah. And so everybody's just basically, like, talking about it, the whole search party. Uh, I think there were 30 people.
1: Yes. Give or take. So, um, and this shows just how neighborly Kate and B are because as they're waiting for Josh Josh to come back and the people are still on the porch, they go and make everybody snacks. But no yes. one can eat them because everyone's just really upset about the body. Yeah.
0: And, I mean, I totally get it. I don't think I would be able to eat either. I would be stressed as fuck.
1: Yeah. Oh, and then this is also when we learn about Dr. Feingold.
0: There's so much going on in these chapters. And it surprised me because like, I was like trying to find a quote for my post yesterday and it's just not like a big quotable book. Like there aren't big heavy lines, but like, there's some juicy shit in here. I just don't know how she does it. It's very easy to read, but there's a lot going on. I don't know. Anyway. That's exactly how I feel. I was reading just now the paragraph that talks about how the body was found. It, it's saying it was like half buried in the earth and the head and the torso were were concealed. But like you were saying, just the feet were sticking out. So um, the rain, it's been raining back 11 years ago. It's like flooding basically. And it must've washed some of the dirt away. They think that it was buried better, but then a dog found it. And this is a fear that I really have that I'm going to be walking my dog one day and find a fucking body. Well, that's how they do it on SVU all the time. All the time. It's always dog walkers. It's always the dogs. And it would be the dogs. They love sniffing shit. Anything that's on the ground that's not supposed to be there, they know. Somebody asks if there are any signs of foul play. And the people who are telling the story at this point, like, look at each other. And they are like, well, the body was unclothed. And everybody's like, and I'm, I'm sure we're all. Or all of our heads are going to the same place. But we still don't know who it is. I don't want to jump ahead too far, but don't th- doesn't Josh say that they found like a blanket, a small blanket over her? Yeah, in a few... I was just thinking it's very interesting that she chose the word unclothed here and not like naked or anything like that because yeah, she didn't have clothes on but she was covered in a blanket we find out later and Kate starts to kind of like wonder if that was remorse or something. Man, she just casually like throws in when she's getting the snacks how awkward it is with the workers being around and she just casually mentions the workers being around all the time and I'm kind of wondering if that has something to do with something by the end or if it just adds to the creepiness factor like Kate's feeling of fear all the time. I feel like it's creepiness factor because
1: as we go through these next 130 pages, Kate mentions it a lot,
0: especially like with that last chapter of like, workers
1: are here, there's the key, this,
0: that, this, that. Yeah. And the shower where she feels super uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. So they talk about the body. Everybody's still out there. They're talking about um, Dr. Feingold eventually. Uh, Like you said, Meredith's doula friend Jeanette is talking about him and how nobody likes him much that something went wrong at Jason and Shelby's birth and that
1: Dr. Feingold didn't listen yeah. and Shelby's baby suffered irreparable brain damage because of what happened and now the Tibos are suing Dr. Feingold for malpractice because he should have opted for a C-seps- C-section, which Meredith had suggested a few times. The mom was exhausted. But Feingold wouldn't listen, and he wouldn't be told what to do. And she said he cut in ep- episotomy. So he cut her vagina and used forceps, which applied too much pressure to the infant's skull, and it fractured it.
0: I think it's a There we go. Oh, my God. I I lay awake at night thinking about the fact. Like, I think it's... I hear that it's not as common anymore, but, like, the fucking scene where he does that without even telling her that he's going to do it, like, my fucking God. Anyway, the T-Bows are suing, Meredith is going to testify, and Jeanette even goes on to talk about, like, what effects the baby might have. They don't even know yet because the baby is still so young, but... Some of the kids get cerebral palsy from this, some seizure disorders. There's other developmental delays. And Jeanette mentions at the bottom of page 135 that Meredith was set to be deposed for that case this week, the week that she went missing. Um, This is... A big bombshell for everybody because it's kind of a lot of ducks are lining up in a row. And time passes. Everybody's kind of like done talking, it seems like. Or at least we're not hearing what they're talking about. And Josh pulls up. It looks like he's not doing all right. It seems like he might be crying or kind of collecting himself. He's, you know, like his wife is missing. Or he murdered his wife and he's stressed out about being investigated by the police. It could be anything at this point, but. Anything. His wife is missing and he's really stressed out. He's like, he gets out. It looks like he's been drinking, but he's just so fucking depressed and hasn't eating eaten and probably hasn't been sleeping. He gets over there and he's just crying. B and Kate go and hug him. And they're assuming, of course, the worst is dead. Meredith or the worst has happened. Meredith is dead. He finally says it's not her. And somebody's like, What do you mean? It's not her. And he's like, The body, it wasn't Meredith. It was that Tebow woman. And Kate feels bad for crying tears of relief that it was not Shelby. But honestly, you didn't know Shelby. Yeah. So it's hard to be sad. I mean, uh, no, it's not hard to be sad about that. It's easy to be relieved that your friend isn't dead yet. Yes. Yeah. So that's understandable.
1: And they ask what happened to her and they are not going to know until after the autopsy. Now police are questioning Josh.
0: I feel like half of the fucking people who stayed there just waited there to find out what happened to her, how she died. Like, everybody wanted to know that question. Yeah. But, yeah, of course, you know, the spouse is always the first suspect. Of course, Josh doesn't realize he's a suspect. He's like, whatever you need to say, you can say it out here. All of these people have been waiting for news. And they're like, no, You want to come inside with us. And he's like, well, I got to go pick up my son. And of course, B and Kate, best neighbors ever, are going to go get Leo from the babysitter because the cops cannot wait 15 minutes to interrogate Josh. So he goes into the house with them and the ladies go to pick up Leo. Little four-year-old Leo at his, quite frankly, scary-sounding daycare. That's the end of that chapter, though. And we start 140 in Leo's chapter in current time.
1: My thought on this was... There's a possibility it could be Dr. Feingold, but those text messages to Meredith started in March, and Dr. Feingold's thing happened in May, so then I was like, okay, he's ruled out.
0: Yes, so I don't think we knew that timing for a couple more chapters, but yeah, definitely in this reading, before even Leo told us that it wasn't related, which it's funny that Leo's the one telling us the information, but of course he's the only current point of view that we get. Mm -hmm which is interesting, very. Why aren't we getting Josh's point of view? What's gonna happen to, anyway, anyway, I'm getting off topic. But yeah, um, you definitely, like it, she's definitely trying to get us to think that the text messages and the doctor, everything just fits into a nice little neat bow. But no, this neighborhood is going to shit. People are dying left to right. Crime is rampant. I just don't understand what's going on here. No. Oh man. So Leo's like in the kitchen, I think maybe. It doesn't matter where there are. He realizes that his sister doesn't really remember him, and he's thinking, it doesn't surprise me. I'm not so memorable. I just thought that was so sweet. Leo is just, like, such a sad little bullied kid, and I feel bad for him. His mom died. His sister, who was his best friend, went away. His dad couldn't get the guts up to tell him what was going on, and something was going on at that fucking daycare. Heaven knows if it was a bully or something else with the daycarers and he goes to school and gets bullied i just feel so bad for him i do too he like goes and gets some clothes for her to wear and gives them to her and she's like thank you sir and he thinks i can't even bring myself to laugh because it's pitiful that you think you need to call me your kid brother sir talk about fucked up the 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 amount of shit that you would have to go through to be this self-aware as a boy at 15 bro they're not emotionally mature until their 40s. That's a scientific thing. The dad is like asking to tuck her in. He, she doesn't say anything back. She doesn't want to talk to these people. And they clearly don't understand that like talking used to be such a complicated thing for her because if she said the wrong thing, she would be in super bad trouble. But they're trying to do their best and just leave her alone and tell her to like let them know if she needs something. And then Leo thinks, I lock my door when I go to sleep. I don't know what kind of person you are. That lady cop said you escaped because you made your own shank. And <laughs> <laughs> I I you're going to stab did. me. I mean, you better behave, Leo. Who knows? Who knows? Are you going to keep her in a locked in a basement
1: and feed her dog food? She might a little later at night, Leo can't fall asleep and then all of a sudden he hears Josh calling for Meredith, at, or not Meredith, for Delilah. And he's screaming his name. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. He can't – Josh can't find you or find Delilah. And Leo's just talking about it. And he's like, okay, what can we do? And so Josh is like, she's gone. She's Mm -hmm. gone. And Leo's like, what do you mean she's gone? So they sit there and they look for her. And Josh calls his girlfriend, his police girlfriend. Carmen. Carmen. Carmen to try and help them find her. And they're worried because... Or Leo's worried because of all the attention that Delilah's been getting since being home. And he starts starts searching the house and he passes by the basement door and he decides to look in there and sees that she's
0: down there. Thank fucking God. That was so scary. But casually, at the bottom of page 143, he... Like, thinks about how basically the excuse he was given, and I'm assuming the cops came up with, for how Meredith died. And it says, that's when mom turned the knife around and stabbed herself in the abdomen, easy and quick. According to the coroner reports, she managed to get her own liver and bleed out. Like, she did that after she tried to slash her wrists and didn't go deep enough. She stabbed herself in the stomach. Like, that's the coroner's reports, like, what it says happened for meredith's death what it doesn't make sense that's her suicide that's crazy yeah that's that's i've never heard anything like that before man but anyways that, that was just like a casual little like two sentences at the bottom of page 143 okay <laughs> but they found her she's sleeping like a baby in the basement And obviously, Leo thinks it's really fucked up that that's the only place that she feels comfortable. But honestly, she's been sleeping in a basement since she was six. How many memories do you have before you were six? Probably not a lot. Especially if your entire rest after that is just... Traumatizing. Yeah. Yeah. So that ends Leo's chapter. And then we're with Meredith in March, 11 years before. And she's getting more scary text messages. I fucking hate these now that I know who they are well gosh yeah so she had kind of forgotten about them Um, nothing has really happened and she just kind of convinced herself that nothing was going on but now in the middle of the night she gets a message and it says I'm scared Okay, this isn't even a scary message. It's Shelby. Oh, I forgot all about this fucking Shelby. I remember when she shows up at Shelby's house and freaking, oh my God. This, Shelby. What was going on in your life? What was going on in your, so many things. Anyways, Shelby texts her. She's scared. Obviously when Meredith hears that ping on her phone, she's like, oh shit, it's a scary message. But it's not. She replies, feeling relieved that it's just Shelby, thinking she's scared of giving birth. She basically tells her that, like, it's normal to be scared, but let's talk tomorrow because it's the middle of the fucking night, and while I am your doula, this, no, we're not doing this. Then a few more minutes later, she gets the text that says, I'm scared of my husband, and that put a pit in my stomach, and this immediately where I was like, okay, he killed Shelby. Yeah. Like, you, you don't send a two o'clock in the morning text message of I'm scared of my husband unless some real shit is going on. Now Meredith is not going to like tell her we're going to wait about this tomorrow. She wants to know if he hurt her. Before she even texts back to asks if ask if he hurt her, she's like, should I just? drop her. But then she's like, okay, the reason I actually took this job is to help people like this who don't have supportive husbands who are in scary situations. So she's like, I'm going to just be the best support system I can. Asks if he heard her, remembers that she was wearing those sunglasses last time they saw each other when they signed the contract after they negotiated and she talked him into it. I'm using heavy quotations here. And She's just thinking about how not all abuse is physical. It can be emotional and stuff too. And Shelby's not texting back. She sends another one saying, is everything okay, Shelby? And she still doesn't reply. It's giving Meredith a lot of pause because she's like, it's the middle of the night. I don't know these people. I don't know how they found me. Like, what should I do? Should I call the cops? Should I go to their house? Like, this this is such a tough spot, too, because, like, if you go to their house or call the cops, it might make it worse yes. for the person in the fucking situation. So, oh my gosh, this is such a stressful chapter. It, there's nothing that she can do. Like, no good options. If she calls, it's clear that Shelby reached out. If she If she calls Shelby or the cops, it's clear that Shelby reached out, and then she'll be more in trouble. So Meredith just goes to bed, holding her phone tight to her chest in case Shelby does manage to text again. God, that fucking, that makes me sick.
1: And she was worried about calling the police because at the bottom of page 148, uh, not long ago, a woman called in a welfare check on a neighbor whose door was left open overnight. And when police arrived, they got spooked, and they shot the neighbor in her own home with her dying as a result. And she doesn't want that to happen to something. The T-Bos.
0: And I've heard stories of that happening in real life, too. hmm Oh, my goodness. So there are no good choices. None. And so she couldn't make one. And then we get back into another Leo chapter. He hates The Carmen. lady cop. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't even
1: call her her name.
0: I, I kind of do, too. Why is she still here? Like, wh- why is she still here? anyway it's been 11 years though okay no I guess the case is reopened because like she was just got found but like I could see how he would be jealous because like not only is this sister back here taking his dad's attention but why is this cop here too <laughs> so they're hugging they hold each other too long it's embarrassing to watch I came as soon as you called. You must be beside yourself with worry. She's there because, you know, Delilah was missing. She was down in the basement and Josh forgot. He put it out of his mind to call her and tell her not to come. I'm sure he forgot. He like made her get out of the basement and go upstairs. And I'm like, just let her sleep in the basement. Yeah. If that's the only place she can sleep. All of this is going to take a long time to adjust to. Like put an air mattress down there a blanket like you, you can make it warmer this you it doesn't have to be a dungeon but okay i'm going on a tangent here because this whole page is just carbon and josh talking i just don't i frankly do not care leo has imparted on me that i don't like her yeah but on page 152 during their conversation because um leo's kind of eavesdropping they're having like a private little whispered conversation josh Vincent mentions that things are not going very good. And he says, she's not right, Carmen. And I'm like, Josh, she was in a dungeon for 11 years. Yeah, things are going to be not right. I mean, I would say for at least 11 years. At least. And um, of course, Carmen's like, of course, she's not. She's suffered greatly, like, blah, blah, blah. And of course, Leo's thinking nobody mentions me suffering. Of course, Josh is thankful that the kid is back, and he's like, thank you for bringing my baby girl back to me. And I'm like, well, Delilah did that. But sure, yeah, thank Carmen. She uh, took the call, I guess, when somebody called and when picked her up. The sure. one
1: I don't like is he's like, it's been over a decade. She's not my little girl anymore. Don't get me wrong. I'm ecstatic to have her home. I just keep having to remind myself that this is real. Like, and I just feel like he was expecting things to be exactly how they were But they already told him how she suffered. That's so, it's so frustrating.
0: Imagine this is a normal thought for people to have. Like, you're out of that bad situation. Why are you still having trauma from it? And I feel like it's so traumatizing to have to re-explain to people why you're still having trauma about a traumatic situation instead of them just being like, okay, cool. You have shit going on and I'm going to let you have shit going on. Like, let's let's just let people be traumatized for a little while. You got to exactly. work through it. Yeah, She's been out of the basement for three days. She had to stab a grown man who, frankly, I think was trying to rape her at some point. Yes. In the neck. Okay. A lot of stuff went on. Her only friend in the world might be dead. She's <sighs> not in a good place. Anyway, Josh kind of pisses me off. He's just like a middle-aged man. And I feel like his head's in a weird place all the time. Like he's got a girlfriend he's got a teenage daughter now it's confusing for him and there's trauma and he doesn't know how to deal with it but i should give him the benefit of the doubt because he's had a rough 11 years too so <laughs> i don't know why i'm all mad at everybody forget josh forget cassandra like fuck her all the way Oh my God, all of bitch. these neighbors fucking suck and i'm still questioning b in her soundproof garage
1: oh i have a theory for that one Oh my land! Do you want it now or do you want it
0: later? Well, let's. You could tell me now, and then we'll probably talk about it again later. But I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. Okay. So, in a
1: couple of chapters, they talk about how they found blood in Josh's garage. Mm-hmm. And my thing is, B is an artist, and her garage is soundproof. So, what if she was making music, and the soundproof garage kept her from hearing whoever was screaming in the other garage?
0: That totally could happen, yeah. I but wanna... you don't think so? <laughs> oh no, definitely. Like I feel like B was probably there for every single thing that happened because she works from home and she definitely yeah. is in there and she gets in the zone. Do you remember when um, Kate was flipping the light switch trying to get her to come answer the door and she didn't even notice? Yes. Over the freaking, it's like pitch black because there's a thunderstorm and she didn't notice a freaking
1: flicker Stralite. of light,
0: like a globe light going on. I don't yeah. know. But I was just thinking when you said that that blood isn't Meredith or Delilah's. Whose blood is it? Yeah, who went into that garage to confront Meredith and got whooped by her? Ooh, that's what I I want to know. I I feel like there was a little cat fight in the garage. That's my theory because Cassandra is so fucking heated. She's such a bitch. One fifty three.
1: Leo goes to delilah's door knocks on it and he's just asking her if she's okay and she keeps calling her keeps calling leo sir and so he's like no it's leo and so he like just tells her how to say his name leo leo say with me leo and she eventually says leo and in this one he gives her a little blanket his old
0: security blanket he gives it to her as a way to help her cope It's pretty sweet. He's a good big brother even though he kind of is like in the back of his head. She's kind of the reason he's had some shitty stuff going on in his life. But she's also his big little sister who has gone through some stuff. So it's pretty sweet. Yeah. Everything is so complicated in this book. Everybody's emotions are so complicated. That ends that chapter though. And then we're back with Kate in May 11 years before. They are doing so much for Josh. And like thank fucking God for them because like What would he be doing with Leo if they weren't there? I feel like dragging him around looking for the. uh, Yeah, he would be stuck with the babysitter twenty four seven, or he'd be dragging him around to different places. Maybe stumbling upon a body at some point. Before we even start this chapter, when we were talking about the chapter where Leo was finding um, Delilah in the basement, did he also like mention in his thoughts that that's where Meredith was found? No. Okay. I think he said that she was found in the woods. Just being in the basement reminded him of his mom's suicide, his his mom's supposed suicide. So I was wondering if she was found in some sort of basement or something like that, or even this basement in some sort of like Shirley Temple thing where she wasn't there and then she was again.
1: Maybe. I mean, going back to look, I'm, g- I'm going back to look because I don't even think they say where she was found. So he just says the basement's unfinished because mom hoped to finish it one day, but it didn't happen before she tried to slash her wrists. So he okay. doesn't say where she was found. He was yeah. just talking about...
0: Yeah, it reminded her him of her because that was her project. I see, I see. Yes. So, so because, we still don't know where she was found. She better have been found inside that fucking house because if they're saying she went offside to gut herself, like, are you kidding me? But once again, you know, we read where the crawdads sing and I thought the claps were so stupid then too. So shoot, maybe Meredith did kill herself, but I don't know. She doesn't seem like she would just from the chapters we know. But then again, the Marty stuff surprised me as well. So here we are. So um, Kate and B in the chapter that we're currently in, before we get too far ahead of ourselves again on page 156, um, they're going to pick up Leo from the babysitter. Um, They're just describing this, pure fucking chaos in here like there's no way this daycare is legal there's just no. no fucking way
1: no um they there's say this... the tv's on too loud the kids are all running around charlotte's excuse is it's been raining so she can't keep the kids outside
0: Yeah. Normally they would be doing this outside. What where you can't even see them? Like, I don't understand. It sounds like she's outnumbered like a hundred to one, but maybe it's just like 20 to one. And I just think like when you're licensed, the state has some thoughts on those numbers. It does. And of course, sweet little Leo is just doing a puzzle and some rowdy kids bump over his puzzle, scatter the pieces everywhere. And he just like doesn't even complain, just goes and picks them up. Like he's a sweet little four year old kid. A sweet little boy. And, um, of course, Charlotte is, like, talking about how their basement flooded. Like, normally they're outside. Normally they're in the basement. Like, why, why are you giving this lady so many explanations? Just give her the kid that she needs. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, I, I'm very suspicious of everybody, and I'm real suspicious of people over-explaining shit.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I also thought it was really suspicious how she was talking about the basement,
0: Yeah. Why, why do we, why does this random stranger who's picking up one kid one time need to know about your basement? Yeah. It's weird. And Leo's so cute. He picks up all the pieces, even though he recognizes people are here to get them. He doesn't leave a mess or anything. And then they go home and they make dinner for him and they even make a plate for Josh, even though he's like clearly not eating because he's going through some anxiety inducing shit right now. Yeah, they're like talking to Leo. They ask him if he likes it at Charlotte's, the babysitter they just came from. And he doesn't answer. He just like tears well up in his eyes. Like he's about to cry. He doesn't cry, but he barely doesn't cry. That makes mm. me fucking sad. Me too.
1: And then in here, Leo is just randomly says, oh, Delilah's sick. And they're like, yeah, that's right. And then they get home, and um, Josh tells Leo, mommy's at work. And Leo says, when will he, When will she be back? And he's like, oh, you know how it goes. Sometimes we don't know. She's still not telling him what happened with Meredith and Delilah. So then B asks Josh what happened, or Kate asks Josh what happened, as they warm up his Um, dinner, and then he says they found Meredith's pills. And this part really pissed me off because it's like people are so gung-ho about preaching about mental health, and then the second something like this happens, they find antidepressants or anxiety medication or some sort of medication, and they're like, that's what it is. That's what happened. Like, instead of going down a list of, like, other possible – things that could have happened it has to be mental health they had to kill themselves because they were on depression medication like what the fuck that really pissed me off
0: so it it pisses me off too and like because meredith was on antidepressants since she had her last kid because they were helping her because she was getting help and working on her mental health issues like the people who are going to go out and kill their kids are the ones who aren't getting their postpartum depression and actually it's not even depression it's psychosis which is different and rare and she mentions that in this book the people who aren't getting treated are the ones who are more likely to be dangerous than the ones who are being treated how are you going to villainize the people who are doing the right thing that's crazy exactly and then on page 161 he says that's not all they found blood in the garage Mm -hmm. And Kate's like, you hadn't noticed in Josh's course is like, it's dark. One of the bulbs is burned out. I keep forgetting to fix it. It's like a normal thing. And he's like, it's not a ton of blood. It was pretty hard to see even after they pointed it out. Of course, at this point, I'm like, what the fuck? Who cleaned up the blood in the garage? And nobody knows what to think. They're all just like sitting there in silence for a little while. And then Josh mentions that they're going to test it and see if it's either Delilah or Meredith's. So obviously, I feel like that's the first test, first thing to do. And they want an alibi from Josh. He is kind of like being weird about it. Like saying, I do have an alibi. And Kate's starting to get suspicious. Like, why are you, just tell us what your alibi is. Like, don't be fucking weird about it. Are you cheating on her? And he's like, I was playing tennis. So he feels bad that he was out working, which, what is his job? Did it tell us in the first third of the book? Because.
1: I think he's just sales, some sort of sales.
0: He's just a big dick swinger out here schmoozing clients and selling something expensive like is josh's work something illegal that could possibly have come back and had his wife and daughter kidnapped i don't know anyway oh that's a good one too R- because like he is in sales but sales could be a lot of thing and like he's doing a l- tennis golfing just smoozing all day that's 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 like Big money sales. Okay? And, then, and
1: then we go later and he goes to a freaking baseball game.
0: And this is just his Monday through Friday. Yeah. So um, he's obviously, he was not wanting to admit what he was doing because he feels bad because he had fun on his tennis game and his wife and kid were being kidnapped and possibly murdered. But um, at least it's a good alibi where people can vouch for him. And hopefully that means that the cops will narrow, like get rid of him and start looking for other people. Instead of trying to figure out, like, how to discount that or whatever. But we'll see what happens. We find out here on page 163 that Shelby had the blanket.
1: And Kate asks Josh if they think that her husband
0: killed her. And he says no one said. And then they also mention. That Shelby was one of Meredith's clients. They do it kind of sneaky, like, how much did Meredith tell you about her clients? And then they ask if he knew that Shelby was one of hers. And this is news to him. This is the first time he's finding out that Shelby was Meredith's client, or that Meredith was gonna testify against Dr. whatever' his fucking name is, Dr. Malpractice. Could you imagine, like that 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 feels so huge to not tell. To get that ball dropped on you? Yeah. And this isn't the first time he's had a ball dropped on him. Meredith wasn't at work the day she went missing when she was supposed to be. And she didn't take Delilah to school either. And she was cutting back on clients? Yeah. I ended this chapter kind of feeling like Josh is really placing a lot of blame on Mr. Tebow. Yes. Um, he Because they got all this information from Mr. Tebow about the doctor. And he's like, maybe... That's what Mr. Tebow wants you to think. Maybe it's a lie, Um, which, you know, we do find out later that he was probably trying to cast blame somewhere else. But of course, they in this conversation trying to on a high note, like saying, hopefully the girls are found just fine. But everyone knowing they need to find it, find them sooner or later, it's going to be too late. Just the nature of missing person cases.
1: What, 48 hours? Yeah. And isn't it less if it's a kid? I think so. <sighs> Which is so dumb because you can't report them missing for, uh, until they've been missing for 24 hours.
0: Right. Adults, anyways, at least they'll pay attention to missing kids' cases. But, like, yeah. bad things happen to adults, too, man. hmm So that chapter ends, and the next chapter is Meredith. Still in March, 11 years before. And she's talking about how hot her husband is. She, he really, she really loves him, and it's really sweet.
1: In this one, she's just talking about how she couldn't sleep because of the text messages from Shelby.
0: Yeah.
1: And she says that her and her husband don't really get a lot of alone time. So they just start macking out in the kitchen and then they hear one of the kids is up. Yep.
0: And that's they start chatting and she ends up lying to him about who texts her. She doesn't want to tell him about Shelby's drama because he's already pretty up in arms about her doing this job anyways apparently six months ago there was a random carjacking it was like during the day like right in front of a lot of like businesses where there could be witnesses. So ever since then, Josh is like tracking her location and telling her like, you don't even need to work. You could just stay home with the kids. She doesn't want to do that. She loves her job. She wants to do it. So she keeps doing it. And that's why she's lying to him and not telling him about the scary text messages and about somebody possibly following her and about Shelby being afraid of her husband. And eventually about them suing that doctor on page 168. She's thinking like, what he doesn't know won't hurt him. And I'm thinking, like, what he doesn't know is going to hurt you, Meredith. God damn it. Yeah. Oh, What about you? What about you? (laughs) So, gosh, we're about to get into the kindergarten drama, and I hate it. It might be my least favorite part of this whole book. Like, how are you, as a grown-ass woman, going to teach your five-year-old daughter to be a mean girl. like They're going to learn it from their friends already. You're supposed to be the balance. Fucking Cassandra. Anyways, we haven't gotten there yet, but I'm still mad about it. (laughs) I am too.
1: Delilah sees Cassandra and Piper and Arlo leave for school, and she wants to leave too because she wants to hang out with them. Piper's one of her really good friends. Mm -hmm. And they can't find Leo's shoes, so they can't go. So Delilah's helping look for it. And she's like, Delilah's just really upset about not seeing Piper. Meredith is like, you'll see her at school. It's okay. They get to school. Meredith sees a mom that her and Cassandra used to kiki about over coffee. And now Cassandra and that mom are really close friends, which means Piper and that five-year-old are really close friends.
0: Yeah. And they're like right in front of the school by the crossing guard. And, Delilah can see Piper and this little girl, Lily Morris, holding hands, crossing the school and going into the school together. It's just so bitchy. But like, of course, Meredith is trying to think the best. Like, of course, they're not trying to leave her out on purpose. They didn't see us, whatever. The ladies, the women walk past after the school age kids have gone inside. And Meredith overhears them making a play date without Delilah and knowing that that's going to hurt Delilah's feelings she like kind of reaches out her arm and is like hey Cassandra just letting you know I'm right here and like still trying to assume the best thinking she didn't see me and Cassandra's still like oh hi Meredith didn't see you there and just like went on about her day it's why are you being so rude. Cassandra. Just say hi to your friend. You guys are in, Meredith mentions there are 12 people there. Like, it would be very hard. It it wasn't a mob. It wasn't like she was at a fucking ACDC concert back in the day.
1: Okay. No, and at this point (laughs) Meredith is feeling bad because she hasn't been a good friend to Cassandra. Yeah. And she thinks that's the reason why Cassandra's being angry because she's canceled too many coffee dates.
0: She is like mentioning the only things cassandra knows that meredith that has done that would be like quote unquote bad friend material is the canceled coffee dates but that's because of her job but cassandra doesn't know about marty and me unless he told her but he wouldn't do that we agreed to keep things secret for cassandra and josh's sake i thought here
1: meredith you're
0: having an affair (laughs) me too i was like you love your husband oh my goodness anyways lots of intrigue she doesn't say anything else about marty until a a later chapter so it definitely leaves you like meredith meredith this just fucking sucks like whatever Moving on, she has to she has to move on with her day because you're a mom and you got to drop the other kid off at of daycare and get on with your fucking life. So they get up to Charlotte's house. Leo freaks out when he has to go into Charlotte's house. And I like at this point, like he almost cried when the neighbors asked about the babysitter. And now he's like having a full on tantrum. Charlotte's saying he'll be fine. He always is after you leave. And Meredith is thinking the pediatri- pediatrician said the same thing. Like this is a phase, it'll pass. But I fucking hate it. Is this really a phase like they go from being outgoing and running into the daycare office to like not wanting to go into the daycare office? No. Yeah. Like, I feel like I would really question if my outgoing child just stopped being outgoing one day. Anyway, she is questioning it. She feels really fucking guilty. She's getting the mom guilt. Now she's going to do one more thing before she goes off to her day. She's going to fucking Shelby's because she didn't sleep at all last night because Shelby texts in the middle of the fucking night saying she's scared of her husband's and she just like goes up to Shelby's and knocks on the door, (laughs) the balls. But, you know, sometimes you got to do that. Shelby really pissed me off here. Yeah, Shelby's being a total fucking sneaky bitch. And, like, you sent those messages, to tell Shelby, you know you did it. Doesn't even say anything nice when she opens the door. She opens the door and says, what are you doing here? Meredith's free to leave because she doesn't look abused. And she tells her, you didn't text back last night. I was worried. And Shelby, like, looks like, okay, what? My problem, where? Her question is, how do you know where I live? And... Meredith gets the impression that she is really offended at her showing up there and that she thinks Meredith is being a little stalkery. And she tells her it's on the contract. You wrote your address on the contract. And she says, right, I did. I just didn't think you'd show up at my door. And Meredith of course is like, I don't normally, but you text me in the middle of the night. And then she hears a man's voice in the background, which scares her. And he's just like telling share, to bring, something for him to drink and Shelby's like I'll be there in a minute I have to go and basically like tries to slam the door in Meredith's face and Meredith is like being more ballsy than she has all of these fucking chapters and shoves her toe in the door because she's gonna find out if this lady got hurt or not this is her client she's gonna make sure that baby is fucking born without you know being aborted at like eight and a half months by an angry fist she's just like your text messages stress me out tell me if you were hurt She's like, well, I was just mad. We were just having a dumb fight. Meredith asks about what? He's pissed that she bought like maternity shirts because he's outgrown her shirts. Like that's what their fight was about. God, I hate the way she ends the conversation. She's just being super fucking condescending saying, do I look hurt to you? And then finally Meredith's like, I'm here for you. She really wants to be a good friend and or a good like doula or whatever. And the last paragraph on page 175 The grin on her face is very Stepford Wives. You're sweet, Meredith. Really sweet. I'm glad I found you, she says. She drops my hand. She goes to close the door. She still hasn't told me if she's all right. I try to stop her, but before I can, the door is shut. She just, like, personality switched into, like, a good little wife. After complaining that her husband was, like, emotionally abusing her for needing new clothes because she's growing a child. I was really upset at this because like, she's being really bitchy to this lady who's trying to help her, but also she's like probably embarrassed because she was, she sent those texts. And then like in the morning light you start like convincing yourself that it wasn't that bad or he's probably already apologized already and then we find out later that like she's actively cheating on her husband right now that man in the house is not her husband yeah <laughs> oh my god what a chapter we didn't find that out until later though but like looking back of course she wants Mira that the fucking leave and she doesn't want to talk about her husband
1: of course
0: what balls you must have to be very fucking pregnant have lived in a place for a couple of weeks and already be having sex with a married neighbor in your abusive husband's house
1: I can tell you that I have not been in the mood to have sex at all
0: and (laughs) look where it got you last time
1: yeah and so I don't know how Shelby can have sex with multiple men right now
0: the fucking mess the fucking mess in Shelby's life I wish she was still alive so we could hear some stories. It sounds wild over there.
1: I know. She needed. She should have wrote a book.
0: Yeah. So that ends that chapter, and we're on page 176 with Leo in the current times. And they are taking Delilah to a shrink, they say.
1: That was recommended by the lady cop. Of course.
0: It's pretty cute that I I mean, Leo has to go with because there's so many fucking reporters on the lawn. He has to help like sneak her to the car and she actually has his blanket with her. So that's pretty sweet. But I couldn't help but get the vibe that like they're taking her to the shrink. So Josh and the cop can get answers and not so Delilah can get help. Yep. And that bothered me. But like even he wanted to go in and find out what was being said. And I can understand you being curious, but, like, if you're in there, you fucking stranger, she's not going to want to talk. Boom. Sorry, Dad. She hasn't known you for 11 years.
1: And this is when we learn that Josh will do anything, medicine and hypnosis, so he can finally figure out the last minutes of what happened with Meredith.
0: I just hate that. Like, that's not what the focus should be right now. I'm sorry. Meredith is gone. Delilah is here. But Whatever. Hopefully Delilah doesn't freak out and shank them in their sleep because nobody's helping her heal. Yeah. (laughs) So they're back at the
1: police station after seeing the therapist. Carmen wants to talk to Josh about something. They leave. They get the DNA back. Josh finds out that that's
0: actually Delilah. Yep. Yep and leo's like i thought we already knew that but cool thanks for the fucking memo in the middle of page 178 the cop kind of starts spinning a theory that uh the mom meredith was in some kind of debt and then sold delilah to pay it and like are you gonna spin that theory to the dad to the the, the husband the widower <laughs> No. My Atlanta. It's so fucking weird that he's interested in the lady that's investigating his wife's murder. I just hate that whole relationship so much. They're talking about how suburban moms have these secret lives of selling prescription drugs and it can really get them in trouble. And like, <laughs> okay, Fox News. <laughs> Did you find some fentanyl on your kid's candy? <laughs> no. Oh, well, that's disappointing. <laughs> it's almost like the drug dealers want you to buy it or something. Oh.
1: It's crazy. It's crazy, right? <laughs> oh, well, dang it.
0: Not trying fentanyl for free this year. Damn. Not checking that one off the bucket list.
1: But anyways. <laughs> Leo talks about how his dad still idolizes Meredith. And he's like, he's like, yeah, she took you. Yeah, she ended her own life. Yeah, I hate her for it. I kind of hate you for it. But he idolizes her. So Josh puts out that theory that Meredith sold Delilah
0: good thank god because like I mean I hope that means that he's actively like thinking that it wasn't even a suicide but also like if the cop thought it was a suicide if they ruled it a suicide why would she even consider that theory and even converse with Josh about it like yeah you guys have already come up with your dumb shit theories (laughs) Yes. So they have literally been like 100% convinced. Like the cops have been 100% convinced since they found Meredith's body that since like she killed herself and gave Delilah away. And I, because they found the note.
1: We we mentioned that the last time, right? They found a note. You'll never yep. find her. Don't even
0: try. Yeah. And that's just got to be so frustrating as the family because that just feels like such an unlikely story. I mean, maybe that's what we'll find out to be true at the end. And we're going to be eating our words. I just have my doubts. That ends that chapter. And then we're back with Meredith. 11 years before in March. Do we just jump from March to May with Meredith in this reading? We get no April or was, was No, some... we get April. I think it's
1: just like a chapter of April. A
0: quick little chapter. Yeah. Well, I'm glad she got like one month of seemingly peace before everything went to shit. Yeah. Okay. It looks like it's two chapters. Yeah. (sighs) Two chapters. I feel bad for her. These last few months were just so fucking stressful.
1: And even in Leo's last chapter, he mentions how Meredith hadn't been herself before everything happened.
0: Yeah. And could you imagine like being harassed and having no idea who it was for a month? I I wouldn't be myself either no on page 180 and 181 they're just kind of talking about how josh finalized a big deal this is still where i'm like what does he fucking do i want to know what deal he's finalizing <laughs> is he selling drugs to big pharma something like that yes like, that's exactly what a Reagan it is and new girl vibe
1: yeah i really like how in this one it shows how meredith is still like such a great wife because she's like. Feeling really bad that she didn't even make something nice for him or take him out to a nice dinner. So they just end up having champagne with
0: dinner. Yeah, it's sweet. It seems like they really love each other. And at the end of page 181, it's time for bath time. And Delilah's going first. And there is Lily Morris drama. She hates her, she says. She plops down in the bathtub and splashes it everywhere. And it's just so sad to think about her having her normal little kindergarten drama. And then in a month, she's going to be in a basement dungeon um delilah is convinced that this little bitch is trying to steal her friend she says she's a thief mommy a friend thief meredith knows that none of this is going to matter soon but she's like well why don't we do a play date with everyone so we can all be friends even though delilah is convinced that lily morris doesn't like her they like kind of come up with this little plan where they're going to do a play date with all three of them together and then it's time for leo's bath and this is where she gets fucked up, man. Leo has a big red bruise, a fresh red bruise on his bottom. And it hasn't had a chance to turn purple. It happened today, she says. It wasn't there this morning. She asks him if he bumped into something and he just won't answer. I, I can't even imagine how fucking sick you would have to feel. Eventually, she keeps questioning him. And eventually, he just like lifts his finger to his mouth and goes, shh. And oh my fucking God, the chills that I got reading that like, why? What? So of course she calls Charlotte. She's showing Josh the bruise. Charlotte's saying that Leo didn't fall and or at least she didn't see anything that happened to Leo. And I'm like, of course you didn't see anything. You are way too fucking outnumbered and you're a legal little daycare that you're running there that's just got to be so fucking disappointing and unsatisfying and I like I would want to quit all my jobs and never take the kids to daycare ever again I hate this chapter Charlotte's just basically like
1: oh nothing happened to Leo nothing happened to Leo
0: yeah and she says I'd like to think if Leo got hurt hurt, he would have told me about it so we could put ice on it like this isn't Leo's four-year-old fault my friend that's why he has a daycare provider with the care because he's four <sighs> she goes and talks to leo and tells him to let charlotte know anytime he gets hurt but she doesn't feel good about it and she doesn't know if her kids are being protected at that daycare and i agree with her that shit's fucking scary and i don't like it
1: so she agrees to talk to leo to make sure that if he gets hurt at charlotte's again he'll go
0: to charlotte Then that's how we leave meredith this time and then we're was Kate and May 11 years before. And B just walked in on her confirming an appointment for that fucking OB that nobody likes. Ugh, and, yeah. I hate this chapter. Is it's it this one? A, it's not going to happen yet, but it is going to happen. And I fucking hated it. But Kate couldn't sleep. She was up all night thinking about this. She needs to find out if Dr. Feingold is actually somebody who would be a murderer and she has to go talk to him herself. And the only way she can do that is by pretending she thinks she's pregnant and getting an appointment with him. B obviously hates this, so she's just going to go with. So I guess two people can get traumatized. And that's that whole chapter. Kate, Kate, Kate. She's so involved and I love her, but my goodness. But what happens? Why haven't we heard
1: her now point of view?
0: I am very suspicious of everybody who we're seeing in the past that's not dead and we're not seeing current things from.
1: Mary wants me
0: to be suspicious. Yes.
1: (laughs) Now we're on page 188, Meredith. We're finally in April, so we're getting closer. Yeah.
0: I mean, I don't know what I was so anxious to get closer to because it's not good.
1: No, but maybe we'll get answers. Yeah.
0: Van, I fucking hate Cassandra. Every single time her name comes up going forward, I just want to punch her in her throat.
1: I do too. Fucking cunt. Yeah. Can I say that on our podcast?
0: I feel like I've said it, and she is being a cunt. And we make the rules, so yes, we
1: can. Okay.
0: (laughs) So today,
1: on this day for Meredith, Josh is going to a Cubs game to close a deal with whatever. And one of her clients goes into labor because of course, so she needs someone to watch the kit. So she goes to Cassandra's and she's over there. And Cassandra is kind of just got home and is from running her errands. And she's kind of
0: snooty. Yeah. She's, she's arguing with Marty, her husband. And because he's like, Oh, well you just got home. I thought I was going to get to leave. And she's like, no, I'm picking something up and then I'm leaving again. And, Meredith is clearly getting the vibe that she doesn't even... She can tell why Meredith is there, and she's, like, trying to draw a line in the sand so Meredith doesn't even fucking ask.
1: Yes, and on page 189, this is when... Okay, <laughs> skipped forward a little bit. <laughs> on page 189, we find out that Joss and Cassandra know that Marty and Meredith went to college, went to the same college together, but what they don't know is that they were friends, they lived in the same co dorm, and they dated... And he took her virginity. But they lost contact
0: after college. She says he was a smooth-talking boy. Smooth-talking and charming. I just fucking hate good-looking, smooth-talking, charming men. There's no reason for it. Mm -mm. Except for disarming women for one reason. Okay? Yep. And clearly, uh, Meredith thinks that that's exactly Marty's, you know, M.O. But Cassandra and Marty just moved to the neighborhood ten months ago. We also find that out on page 89 and Meredith and Marty had not spoken before this uh, between college and you know now Marty doesn't have a Facebook and they never spoke so one day they just showed up in the neighborhood that Meredith and her husband lived in it's been almost 20 years yeah and he even at the top of page 190 he's still being a little smooth talking prick she because he answers the door and she says I'm sorry to bother you and he says you're never a bother and like smiles at her I hate him. I hate him. And she says he always has like a way to put her at ease. And I'm like, I bet he puts everyone at ease. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's that's great for you. I just don't think it's husband material. Cassandra happens to come in like right after Marty answers the door, and then they have their little argument about. Well, I don't want to be here either, and I'm I'm going out again. So you still have to be here. And meredith kind of gets the vibe that neither of them wants to be home with their kids so they're not gonna take her kids and it's just so fucking awkward cassandra is like asking what josh is doing meredith tells her and cassandra's like must be nice why didn't you and the kids go and even like saying that he should take meredith and the kids to his work things and meredith tries to like explain that uh you wouldn't do that Cassandra finally gets around to asking why she stopped by you know probably being a condescending bitch and Meredith doesn't want to ask at this point because it's gotten too fucking awkward and she says it's about Piper I actually wanted to schedule a play date with everyone and Cassandra's like oh I think that would be lovely and I'm just like thinking at this point I have a note right here on page 192 I think this has to do with Amber like this whole fucking little argument tiff that cassandra and meredith are having i'm assuming at this point that amber and cassandra went and hung out and amber like spouted some nonsense and cassandra was like yeah i agree i've noticed those things about meredith and now they're besties and meredith is on the outside that's what i was mm. thinking was happening mm. right here well i was like wow cassandra's really um upset when you cancel coffee dates on her yeah oh my gosh i had no idea but of course you know those things always come out to the light don't they yep so Meredith leaves obviously she's not getting anywhere with this lady who clearly doesn't like her anymore and she's getting those vibes but she ends up going over to Kate and B, and they're the best like they open the door and like notice right away what's going on and they're like oh we have pizza do you guys want to come help us eat this pizza like they're just the best little like neighborhood aunties ever they should open a daycare they should and I don't
1: know why Meredith didn't ask them first
0: yeah me either they're closer but she, like, so desperately wants to be Cassandra's friend. And I I noted this later in the reading, but it's so weird. She's so jealous of her. Like, she just admires how she looks and how she holds herself and how she does everything. And I don't think that I, – I think that not a small part of it is also that she married Marty, this guy who probably never seemed like he was going to settle down. But no. anyways, their whole dynamic is so weird and – Yeah, she should have just stuck with Kate and B from the beginning.
1: In 193, she mentions how Leo just walks right into the house willingly Mm -hmm. with his blanket, jumping, happy. But at Charlotte's, he doesn't do that at all. So she's just concerned. She says her client nearly delivers without her, and that's sometimes what happens. And Josh calls
0: her as he's leaving the game. Yeah and he even knows that she's been at a birth even though she didn't tell him and he's like oh I checked the location and she does not like that he tracks her location. This made me stop reading right here because I was reading mostly yesterday and Matt stayed home sick from work so I like went into the other room and I was like how often do you check by location because he has my location too and he's like never you don't go anywhere. <laughs> and that was so rude. Anyway. <laughs> This is a funny little antidote that happened to me personally. That's my, funny. My, my, betrothed just dissed me. <laughs> so anyways, um, she's feeling weird about Josh, like invading her privacy. And then she gets a threatening text at that same fucking time to just heighten the fucking stress. And it says, I hope you haven't forgotten about me because I haven't forgotten about you. And it says the emoji this time is a face screaming in feel In fear. And at this point is where I was like, Shelby's baby isn't even born yet, so Meredith isn't beefing with that OB right now via text. Like, I have to assume this has nothing to do with Shelby and the doctor, and that's when I started to put the pieces together that the timing wasn't fitting. And that's the end of that chapter. Jesus Christ, Cassandra, why are you like this? Why are you like this? Why are you a terrible
1: person? And now we're in the worst okay that probably one of the worst chapters yeah
0: we're, we're getting there
1: one of the worst chapters in this reading I should say
0: yeah I mean if she's gonna do that in the middle of the fucking book what's gonna happen in the last hundred pages oh my gosh we haven't even heard about how anybody was murdered yet no just that they were yep my goodness that hadn't even occurred to me yet. I literally had to take such a long break after 2.17, after page 2.17. That's the end of that chapter about the... Oh, birth. Yeah, my God. Anyways, we're not there yet. We're on page 196 with Kate 11 years before. She's going to her appointment, and it's it's going to be traumatic, you guys. Bear with us. We'll try to get through it fast. She
1: goes into the office and starts filling out paperwork and stupidly puts her First and last name on there and her address. And
0: I was at this point, I'm like, B's mad. She notices that Kate puts her personal information down, but I'm like, she had to make the appointment. Wouldn't she have had to give the information already? At least the name yeah. and the number. Yeah. But B's like, You're the worst fucking criminal ever. And I had been kind of suspecting Kate like of being involved in something because I think all the neighbors are, but like, she'd be a terrible criminal. Kate can't be doing anything, could no. she? She no. she can't even go to a fake appointment as a fake person correctly. No, <laughs> she's doing all of this by the way, not because she wants to come out and ask Doctor Feingold if he murdered Meredith or had beef with her. He just wa- she just wants to check his vibe. She wants to decide if he seems like a murderer to her. So everything that happens the rest of this chapter is just to see if he passes the vibe check. That traumatizes me, personally. Yeah. Anyway, they don't have time to fix the form. They get called back pretty quickly, which is interesting. Like, why isn't there? There's no wait time here. Should, should, normally, there's a wait time at doctors. And I mean, yeah. I fucking hate it. But it means that they're, they have patients that are going there.
1: Well, apparently, Dr. Feingold does not. Yeah,
0: that seems weird to me. Like, all the, all the good plastic surgeons, you probably have to wait forever or be a Kardashian to get in at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they're the best. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe that doesn't mean anything.
1: On 198, we learned that uh, B and Kate won't get married because it's not legal in their state. And they talked about getting married in Massachusetts, but it just doesn't
0: feel right. Dude, what if that shit gets overturned? Oh, that's so crazy. I don't so want to think about that. Of course, I that popped in my head when we're having this reading right here because like yeah. ugh, it's so weird to me to think of it even not being legal anywhere because I'm in Colorado. But fuck. Anyway, 2022, man. The Supreme Court. They're making history. So she's like talking to the nurse, like pretending to be pregnant. And she's like really committed. (laughs) I just don't even think that I could be here and be like, do you think I'll have twins? It runs in my family. (laughs) So anyways, she's acting like she's like an excited first mother, too. Like she's She's really on a show. She is. I'm putting on my best show from the TikTok sound. They get done with all the nurse stuff. And then somebody like bangs on the door. It says the knock on the door is ungentle and the door cracks open an inch and the doctor just busts in. This is after the nurse had made her, has made her switch down to just like the gown. Kate thinks in her head, like when I go to my gynecologist, she like cracks the door and make sure that I'm okay. And like covered before she comes in and everything's like really nice and polite and it's like nice little gentle tapping and nothing is stressful And this guy's just like coming in like your angry dad when he found out that you were up at night on the phone with the boyfriend you're not supposed to have or something <laughs> like okay so she's already like I don't like this this doesn't feel anything like the Appointments I normally have in this guy's bedside manner makes me feel gross, makes me feel icky. She says he looks pretty old school and he's, you know, got like gray hair. He's an older dude. He's one of those dudes who's done it like this his whole time and he's going to do it like this till he dies, which is, you know, I guess fine if you like digging ditches, but in medicine, which is science, I don't know. I think you should be learning and
1: progressing, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the malpractice suit will be the end of him.
0: fingers freaking crossed god he's just so freaking weird he basically ignores b being in the room i feel like he's baiting her like why do you think you're pregnant oh you took three pregnancy tests all three of them were positive are you sure and when she's like yeah 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 and she's like well the urine sample that you gave us was negative so that's weird like he's a dick yes he
1: reminds me about when i found out i was pregnant i had to go do a 10-week ultrasound and he
0: reminds me of the doctor there. See, I'm, like, reading these scenes thinking, like, this is 50% of the male OBGYN field, like, the whole... That's what I feel. And I I have this feeling because I feel like doctors tend to be, like, uppity, kind of misogynistic dudes anyways, and then to be presiding over the female body like some god i feel like some people get that power trippy just like this fucking guy and kate's getting major misogynist vibes from her like yes and
1: what's weird is my mom um all of her ob's were men and she said that she didn't have an issue with them and she liked them And she said that she felt that they were more, like, caring than the women. And I was like, well, you never had a woman, so how would you know? And my women OBs, I liked them a lot.
0: Yeah, and I wonder if people who have said that they liked their all-male staff just don't know that it could be better. Probably. You know, like, maybe they were the nicest doctors you've ever been to, but did anything happen? that you didn't like, you know? I mean, and maybe we shouldn't be thinking like that, but definitely in this fucking specific scenario with Dr. Feingold. Yeah, I can tell you they did not rip my legs open. Jesus Christ, he like rapes her you need to loosen yeah. up or it's going to hurt a lot worse. I couldn't even imagine laying there being about to pass out after being cranked open and having somebody say if you don't relax it's only going to hurt worse. What are what is this? Is this is this Guantanamo Bay or is this a medical practice? My yeah.
1: god. And then he talks about how sometimes women can get what's called a chemical pregnancy and have an early miscarriage and he's just like nonchalant about it, which that's still traumatizing for women. Like I know Kate isn't one that's actively trying to get pregnant, but I've had a chemical pregnancy and it's still sad, especially when you're like, oh, yay. And then it happens, like, it's, it's upset. It's upsetting. And so the, how he just was nonchalant about it, chauvinistic was just upsetting in this reading.
0: Yes. She's like clearly expressing all her excitement for potentially being pregnant. And he's like, well, you're probably not. And it probably, you probably miscarried. So there, those are the facts. And that's just what it's like to be a shitty woman. And he's saying, well, we've got to do a blood test to make sure you're even pregnant. But in the meantime, we're also going to do a pelvic, ex- pelvic exam. She knew that this might be a thing that happened. But now she's like, why are we going to do it if this man is already certain that I'm not pregnant and he's also going to be doing a blood test and she's like shouldn't we wait for the results of the blood work and he just smiles and she says it's really predatory and he says if I'm going to be your doctor you'll need to trust me okay Katie and she's really bothered by that because her name is actually Kate it's not short for anything like on her birth certificate it says Kate and that's just I hate him I hate him. Um, But before she decides to let him invade her lady cavern, she's like, I got to get my questions in here or he's not going to answer them and the exam's going to be done and he's going to know that I'm being shady. And she starts asking uh, about doulas. And he's, like, putting on gloves as this happens, and she's just picturing him as a fucking murderer, which makes everything so much fucking scarier. He's obviously not pro-doula. And then this ballsy bitch pulls out a list of doulas and hands it to him and asks if he recommends any of them. And, of course, Meredith Dickey is one of them. And he just, like, looks at it for a while and then looks at her and says, you know, the top three or the top few are cool, but i want to do the one on the bottom honestly that's kind of tactful he's just like i don't i don't know her i've never worked with her and the other ones i have worked with and they seem fine and instead of uh saying like well you can't have that one because i'm in the middle of a malpractice suit with her it's very interesting the tact that he showed there yes But, um, I mean, Kate's like, he's fucking lying. He's a fucking murderer. She doesn't have all the info we have about the text messages, and the timing does add up for her. So now she has to let this dude do a pelvic exam, thinking he murdered her, and just lied to her to cover it up. It's fucking awful. He doesn't really give her any warning. He just shoves the fucking septum in, cranks her open, and starts reaching around in there. She, like, pulls her knees together because it's hurting, and that's when he's like, you need to relax or it's just going to hurt worse. And then he just like yanks his hand out and is like, well, I can't really tell because like, that's not really a fucking test. Maybe it is like a real test, but not on somebody who's probably six weeks fucking pregnant. And we're going to have to wait for the blood work. And I'm just like, okay,
1: okay, whatever. So he just basically like molested her.
0: She feels super fucking molested for sure. And for him, normal course of business. And while I understand that people's hands are probably going to be up in there while you are being pregnant and even having babies. I still feel like consent in conversation should be had. Yes. Before. But I don't know this this book is making me definitely never want to have a baby with my own body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That ends that chapter. It's fucking awful. And then we get to go right into Shelby having her baby with Dr. Feingold. Great. <laughs> so after one shitty chapter, we go right into the next. Yeah. We got 10 more pages of trauma. And so we're with Meredith in April and Shelby is in labor. Meredith meets the Tibos at the hospital and she says she meets Jason for the first time. And she realizes the voice that she heard in the house when she went to Shelby's the other week, not Jason's. So now she knows that Shelby is cheating on her husband. Yeah, and she's kind of, like, questioning everything she knew about Shelby because, like, she's a liar, you Mm -hmm. know? So this is also, we find out on page 209 that this is the first time she's ever met Dr. Feingold. So he definitely can't be the one she's beefing with via text message.
1: No. Jason is really hung tight right now and is kind of freaking out on the nurses with how how they're dealing with Shelby. And so Meredith has to step in and just be like, it's okay, calm down, it's fine. And apparently Dr. Feingold is also doing another labor right at the same time. He comes in and she said his reputation precedes him. He's overweening and uncompromising. And he tries to push Meredith to the corner of the room. Mm -hmm. But she's like, no, Shelby's my client. And he goes to check Shelby's progress and just jams her finger inside. And she said he did it less gently than the triage nurse. And Shelby is in
0: pain. Yeah. And he says, you need to hold still. It doesn't hurt and then he like walks over to Meredith and is like she's gonna be a tough one isn't she drama queen like bro how do you know so little about vaginas as a yeah. vagina doctor yeah fucking hell like I mean it's well known that women's pain is not considered real especially by doctors so oh, this is just making so many things I already believe in my gut seem so real for me. An hour later, he, he literally calls Shelby a fucking attention whore, by the way. He says that her acting like that, not wanting him to jam his fingers inside her abruptly without any fucking consent or anything, she's being a attention whore.
1: I love Meredith's fight uh, oh back. Oh my gosh, yes. My clients are always looking for OB recommendations. I wouldn't recommend you to anyone.
0: Fuck him fuck him. So he leaves and then an hour later a nurse comes back to do another check and um, Meredith feels like that's too soon. They could wait a little while longer and Shelby really didn't like the last one so she tells Shelby which is her job to inform her that she has the right to say no to this and ask them to come back later and Shelby does and the nurse kind of is like not happy that they are not just rolling over and doing whatever they want so whatever. That That just pissed me off. And Meredith is like thinking at the bottom of 211 that this is a huge problem. Like Shelby's worried that she won't come back and laboring women just don't want to piss anyone off because they need them. And that means that sometimes unnecessary things are done to a woman's body during labor for the sake of convenience or efficiency. And she has to be As much of a bodyguard as anything else. Then, like, labor progresses. Shelby is not doing well with the contraction. She ends up getting an epidural, and Jason is fucking very high strung. He's not taking that. Shelby's in pain very well, and he's angry at everyone. But she calms down a little after the epidural and she goes to sleep. And that leaves Meredith and Jason to talk. And Jason is fucking scary. Yes. He knows Shelby's having an affair and he's afraid that Shelby's going to leave and take his baby with him with her. And she he's like just promising Meredith that if Shelby tries to leave, there's no fucking way that she will leave with his baby. It's very threatening. And Meredith starts to kind of wonder if, He's even, like, abusive at the beginning of their conversation. And maybe Shelby was just, like, laying the groundwork to, like, get a good, like, settlement in the divorce. But by the end of page 213, the way he's, like, saying every other weekend isn't good enough for me. Like, I'm not an idiot. Nobody's taking my baby away. He's fucking scary. And I think that he probably – I think she can be cheating and he can be abusing her. I think both could be true. I think so, too. (sighs) So – I just, oh gosh, I just hate domestic violence. And it's definitely happening here. So that conversation kind of ends. Shelby wakes up. She's not progressing very much. And the doctor comes in and gives her pictocin, which I think is an induction chemical, yes. if I'm right. Yes. So this gets everything going. Now her freaking contractions are really coming fast. And she ends up pushing for like three hours, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. And she's exhausted. Meredith doesn't want her to push anymore. She isn't opposed to having a C-section and Meredith knows that sometimes people get C-sections because they just physically cannot push anymore. And continuing to try to push can hurt the baby and the mother. So she pulls the doctor aside and says, would you possibly consider doing a C-section soon? Because Shelby's obviously just done. And he's like... I'm the fucking doctor here and basically like publicly publicly shames her in the room, decides that Shelby's gonna finish this fucking delivery even if he has to pull the baby out with forceps by himself. And his justification to Shelby about why she doesn't want to have a C-section is she'll have an ugly scar. Like how much of a misogynist do you have to be? Nobody cares about that fucking scar. Like it's not even that ugly. It's like four inches long and it's like, a millimeter thick if not. Yeah. like yeah my god Meredith's upset because the only request that Shelby had was a healthy baby not avoiding a c-section scar Dr. Feingold decides to use forceps and this this just pisses me off like like I was saying before he's doing everything the way he's always done it he's been delivering babies for 35 years and he's still delivering babies like he was 35 years ago and like Was it the best? Probably no, just like nothing 35 years ago was the best, right? Like nothing's ever the best. As time goes on, it gets better, especially fucking medicine and science. This is bad. He ends up just fucking cutting the episiotomy, you know, the perineum, you know, And he doesn't even tell Shelby he's doing that. He doesn't get consent. And Meredith is just like, oh, my fucking God, that just fucking happened. And she says, doctor, but it's too late. It's done. And then he ends up just telling Shelby, I'm getting this baby out of you. Grabbing the head with the forceps and ripping the baby out. And doesn't even tell her what can happen. No, no information about... The complications or anything like that just like oh my god I'm fucking stressed about this I could uh, oh gosh and like the amount of stress that you're under like the entire pregnancy is just stress built up because you're just like you know getting ready to bring a human into the world and this is just like the pinnacle of the stress so like how much can you even really make informed decisions especially if you're not fucking informed like oh my fucking god is he this bad with all of his patients or is he extra mad that there's a doula there mm, good question I didn't trust doctors when I started reading this book, and I definitely didn't need this fucking chapter. No, my Lanta, it's over now, thank God. But like, it's not over for Baby Grace. No, she's gonna suffer the rest of her life.
1: Yeah, Meredith says when once you pulled the baby out, it doesn't cry. So her first thought is she's gonna die.
0: Yeah, that ends that chapter, and we are back with Kate eleven years before. Ugh, this one is very. <sighs> There's stressful. just a lot of stress until the end of our reading. Yes. <laughs> and it just might be until the end of the book we're really getting into the part where things are starting to come together
1: yeah so So Kate and B are leaving the hospital and the rain is just coming down a lot like downpouring and they're talking about how he wasn't a nice man and B was basically like he's probably not a murderer he's not nice but he's probably not a murderer
0: yeah like he's got bad bedside manner but I don't think we can say he's killing people. Kate feels really fucking gross and just like she was violated. Gosh, I hate this part. This, this is, I feel like I'm always wondering if people are fucking following me. So they're driving home. Uh, Kate is driving and she notices that there's some headlights behind her and they're really riding her ass and it's freaking her out because like the rain, you need to have distance or you won't really be able to stop and you can't really see that far in front of you. So why are you like so close to people in front of you? But then, Like, as she's distracted and thinking about what just happened to her and thinking about this car behind her, she realizes she almost misses her turn, cuts over a lane of traffic, and then, like, goes through an intersection turns hydroplanes a little bit because the ground isn't level and it's freaking storming it's a very scary little turn and then when she like recovers from the scary hydroplaning incident and almost missing her turn she realizes the same fucking car is behind her right in her tail like he took that same scary turn with her last minute so he's clearly fucking following her and b's like trying to be logical probably just some dude from the office like the doctor's office who you cut off and he has road rage and Kate's like that guy passed me this is someone else but they can't see who's in the car because it's so fucking rainy and dark and by dumb luck she says they pass a police station on the way home and they pull into the parking lot and this car that's been following them presumably speeds off so that's fucking freaky and I definitely don't think that that was just a coincidence no because the car in the prologue somebody was using a car as like a Intimidation tactic in the prologue. I have to assume that that person is doing the same shit still. And that ends that chapter. And on 225, we're with Leo. And um, it's Delilah's third day. And she just brings up Gus. I'd actually totally forgotten about Gus. I have too. <laughs> but oh, yeah, she was in the basement with another kid. <laughs> Oh, gosh, there's so much going on in this book. After Delilah tells her family about Gus, they immediately want to go to the police and talk to them. And the police are really feeling the urgency too, because once again, we talked about it, you've got to find these people within a few hours or it's a few days or it's like nothing is going to be there anymore. And she can't really help the police very much with a description or anything. Can't even really identify him from any missing kid posters because remember it's so fucking dark down there. They couldn't see. She couldn't see what he looked like at all. Just that he's taller than her. Leo is like watching all this happening and thinking about how when he, when she was missing, he would spend a bunch of time on missing kids websites and he talks about how they do this other thing not just posting pictures of missing kids but they also post pictures of remains that have been found. John and Jane Doe's asking people to help identify them and that's just so fucking heartbreaking. Like Leo's been around some heartbreaking traumatic shit in his life. Yeah. He really has. He even mentioned one time he told his dad about those remains and wondered if Delilah was one of them and he did not like that idea. He grounded him from the internet for a while.
1: The lady cop asked a bunch of questions, but of course, Delilah knows nothing. And the cop that found you drove you around the town to see if you could remember, or to see if Delilah could remember anywhere that she had been, but she couldn't remember anything
0: yeah and they mention on 227 that this is a town of literally 45 people and i'm like just in manpower in time that it would take the police could search 45 homes and question 45 families yes but also we know these people's names are eddie and uh something with an m i think like the cops could cross-reference this little town with those two names these were notes i was thinking on this page and we know that they end up doing that thank goodness but we end this chapter with um, Josh wanting to help find that missing kid because his his kid is home and he just hates knowing that somebody else's is, is still missing. That's the end of that chapter. And then we end up with Meredith 11 years before, but in May, we're getting very close to the time that she went missing. The first paragraph on page 228 is just, the Tebow's baby is covered in forceps marks and bruising when she arrives, when it within minutes of her birth her tiny head begins to swell. Within hours, she begins to seize. A cranial head ultrasound is performed where doctors discover an intracranial hemorrhage, otherwise known as a brain bleed. The cause, excessive mechanical force to her head, resulting from forceps misuse. So... Her future uh, does not look great, and the T-Bows decide to sue. Meredith thinks they have a case, their lawyer thinks they have a case, and they file the fucking paperwork. And in the middle of page 229, the doctor literally calls Meredith to tell her if she did this, if it was her ideal, he'll ruin her. Do you hear me? I'll ruin you. He says, She says that he enunciates it like, I will ruin you and I'm like are you really gonna call the witness in your malpractice case and threaten them like <laughs> yeah are you doesn't fucking make sense. stupid <laughs> this is evidence now probably oh my god
1: so not only so- does she have those threatening texts she's now dealing with this
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, gosh, I feel so bad for her. Her, The last couple months of her life are so stressful. And then at the end of 229, she gets to go straight from that phone call with the doctor to Delilah having beef with her little kindergarten nemesis, Lily. She thinks she's stupid. She doesn't want to have a play date with both girls because Lily Morse is stupid. I feel really bad for her because she's just getting caught up in drama that doesn't have anything to do with her little five or six-year-old self, you know? Yeah. They order dinner.
1: She talks about how Josh is incredibly handsome and how she wants to tell him about Dr. Feingold and t but she just doesn't trust or doesn't think that he would understand and he would be disappointed in wanting her to quit.
0: We just, in that chapter with Meredith, still deciding not to tell Josh about any of the drama and like I just want to be able to keep my cool I feel like he would be able to tell that I got that phone call a few minutes ago so that's the end of that chapter and now we're back with Leo and we learn a lot of stuff from this chapter with Leo he basically tells us on page 231 that at, at first the cops saw all these missing people were connected but then they find out that Shelby was killed by her husband and now he's in prison he threw her clothes the ones that she wasn't wearing when she was found in a dumpster behind where he worked. And amazingly, the trash hadn't been taken out before they found it. So great. Crazy. Yeah. And luckily the people who took Delilah were dumb enough to use their real name, Eddie and Martha, and they found their house. They actually even sent pictures of the house to Delilah, Josh and Leo. And they're just talking about how ghetto and disgusting it is and dirty. But when they go to search the house, they've abandoned it, which makes sense because they probably knew the cops would be coming to find them after that first kid got away. Two thirty-two, they found they didn't find Gus, but they
1: did find blood in the basement.
0: At first, I was thinking, did those people go back and kill Blus Gus? But no, that blood's probably from when she stabbed Eddie. Oh yeah, probably in the neck. So I'm still hopeful that we're gonna find Gus alive. I'm hopeful the blood in the basement is Eddie's and not Gus's. Yeah. But now uh, Josh really wants to do the fucking hypnosis. The lady cop thinks this is stupid, but he just really wants to do it. And I guess they're going to do it. So the like night before that happens, Leo is feeling bad for Delilah having to go through all this. And he goes into her room to see what she's doing. And he t- he gets taught like her little wall game that she used to do where they, since it was so fucking dark in their basement, they would just walk until... They got as close to the wall as they could without touching it. And if you touched it, you've lost. And it's just a really cute couple pages about them bonding and about him thinking the game isn't that cool. But he plays it again anyways because it's what she wants to do when she's finally talking to him, you know? And I feel like that's the best way to get her to open up. Exactly. Like go into her world, just bringing her out into this. You, you don't bring an anxious dog into the big world and then be like, why are you acting anxious? Not saying Delilah's a dog. She's much more complicated than that, meaning the approach needs to be much more complicated than that. Yes. So that ends that chapter. It's a sweet chapter. And I'm glad that there's finally something cute happening but because- because Jesus Christ. I was yeah. Getting
1: stressed. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Mary needs to Mary needs to sprinkle us with some kindness. Yeah. <laughs> she she gives it to us really sparingly, so we really appreciate it when we get it. I wonder what she like reads when she's actually at home. Do you think she reads books like this? Or do you no. think her mind is just super dark and she reads like, I don't know. What if she <laughs> reads uh, those like Nancy the romance books? I don't know. My mom reads them. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. My computer just died, so I can't even Google this. But I know exactly who you're talking about. The old-timey ones with the guys with the long hair in the front and the dresses. Yeah. The girls with the dresses. It's always, yeah, my mom loves her, period.
1: Nora Roberts. Nora
0: Roberts, the queen of the periodic romance. Yes. That would be funny if that's what she's reading and then writing this. (laughs) That would be hilarious. All right. So we are with Meredith in May Oh fucking Cassandra. Oh my gosh, right? We get to find out what a truly crazy cunt Cassandra is and how she's been this whole time. And Meredith really wants to make okay with this friend. Like she wants to be friends with Cassandra. I mentioned that. She like and I I mentioned I think it's weird. She's really kind of jealous of her. And um She needs to make good with this friendship because her daughter's friendship probably relies on it too. I feel like that's a lot of the reason moms even put themselves out there so much.
1: She brings a cake over as her kids are in school and daycare and Arlo's there. Cassandra's like, what are you doing here? They get Mm -hmm. into the kitchen. Cassandra makes coffee. She doesn't even bring the coffee to the table. She brings a photo album to the table.
0: Yes. She says, I have something I want to show you. And right in that fucking moment, I'm like, it's going to be a picture of Meredith and Marty. I fucking knew it. Mm -hmm. And it's an old ass photo album from way back in the day. And of course, there is a picture of Marty and Meredith. Marty's arm is around her. They're obviously friends. And it's like a college photo from, you know, their college. And obviously, Meredith has to admit that they've known each other. And Cassandra wants to know, why wouldn't you and Marty tell me unless you had something to hide? I've known for weeks what you two were up to. You thought you could get away with it. And Cassandra's obviously assuming that they're still having an affair and this just sealed the deal for it and Meredith is like yes we did date before but nothing has happened to us between us in 18 years like I promise it was young love and that really sets Cassandra off like you loved him Meredith is still trying to smooth it over like I thought I did I was young you know you know what it's like when you're 18 and Cassandra's like why did you lie to me though and Meredith is like I didn't lie and I'm kind of you kind of did, You kind of did. But like keeping secrets like that its it's not really on Meredith to tell her. It was on Marty to tell her. Yeah. But the fact that Meredith wanted to pursue a friendship with a lady who she knew like didn't know that she loved her husband and you know let's let's get to the next part and then I'll further my my thing there (laughs) yeah because Cassandra wants to know if Josh knows and she wants Meredith to tell Josh and then she wants to know did they sleep together and Meredith's like I was 18 and Cassandra's like Answer the question Did you or did you not sleep with my husband? And Meredith is finally like, I did. And that's when Cassandra pulls out a little paper, a little note that Meredith had written to Marty back in the day saying I was pregnant and she was pregnant and she was gonna keep the baby, regardless of if he wanted to be involved or not. Cassandra had that note the whole time she was questioning her. She just wanted to her to admit it before she told her she had the evidence. Like, why are you being such a bitch about this? Like, just confront her. Why are you being so crazy about this? Obviously, yeah. I'm assuming she confronted Marty about this and he's like I don't care it's not a big deal so she needed to get somebody's attention about it but whatever then she wants to know what happened to this baby and Meredith's like I miscarried at 12 weeks and she's like shame like a fucking bitch like oh my gosh and then it goes on a little more Cassandra's like are you still fucking my husband and then we find out that Marty has been sneaking out in the middle of the night to go hook up with somebody and I'm like obviously Shelby. Shelby yep so I mean, he takes his ring off. Shelby mentioned that the dude took his ring off in the prologue and she was like wondering in the prologue, what this guy told his wife. And it was something fucking stupid, like going to get ice cream and not bringing ice cream back. He's not even a good cheater, but. I think it's so weird that Meredith wants so badly to be friends with this woman who she has such a weird secret from. You're going to keep that secret in your friendship forever? Like, that was her plan? It's very weird to me. It's very weird that she pursued this. The last paragraph made me pretty sad. Uh, Meredith is thinking, it saddens me to think of Marty sneaking out late at night to cheat on her. Though I can't say I find it shocking. Not because of anything Cassandra has done or anything, but because the Marty I knew in college was slick was a ladies man maybe he hasn't changed as much as i thought hmm. honestly at this point i'm thinking like even though it seems like meredith is a little jealous of cassandra she looked out like her husband loves her she loves her husband back and he- nobody seems to be cheating yeah. Meredith is still trying to smooth this over, saying, It isn't me if he is cheating on you. I wouldn't lie. I never lied to you. And Cassandra's getting so worked up that the baby is like crying. Meredith is like asking her to give her time to tell Josh she doesn't want it to come from Cassandra. And Cassandra's like, Well, I wouldn't do that to you, Meredith. I'm not that kind of friend. And Meredith is still, once again, trying to smooth it over, saying, well, Mart, I'm sorry, Marty and I didn't tell you. Like, we thought it was for the best. And I'm like, you guys didn't think it was for the best. She told us the story. They met, and Marty just shook her hand like she was a stranger and went along with it. I bet you he pretends he doesn't know any of his hookups. Yeah, probably. And, yeah. But of course, her saying Marty and I, like, decided this made Cassandra mad because she hates thinking of them as an item. So she starts, like, getting all angry again. And... Meredith gets up to leave and then Cassandra says I hope you rot in hell hell, Meredith I hope you both rot in hell and now Meredith is like this sounds like those fucking text messages she confronts Cassandra's right there about it and Cassandra confirms it and even confirms that she's been following her saying if she's done anything Meredith deserves it like this we end up on page 242 with Meredith not letting Delilah play with Piper anymore Delilah's really upset about it. And then Cassandra brings Piper's new friend, Lily, over and purposely puts them in the front yard. And Delilah's in the fucking window crying about it. Like, she's using her little five-year-old as a pawn to hurt her nemesis by hurting her daughter. I understand being mad that your husband had a past, but, like, he did. Let's move forward. Like, you're teaching your kid to be a mean girl? Fucking hell. Do better. Do better. And now we are talking about taking Leo to
1: Charlotte. And every time she does... Leo clings to heh, clings to Meredith and says no, mommy, no.
0: And she's just talking about how she's just feeling overwhelmed with guilt between Leo and then Delilah not having her friend anymore because of the Cassandra thing. She thinks about Jason and Shelby all the time because what happened with the baby and that delivery. She's wondering if she did enough. She like calls her friend Jeanette to like start feeling a little bit better and have somebody tell her like she did everything she was supposed to do. And
1: we this is this when sh- we learn that yeah. she tells Jeanette. Maybe I should, maybe it's time I set my work aside and focus on my family. Mm -hmm. So maybe Meredith was actually having that feeling right before she was murdered.
0: Yes. And I'm getting like, I'm getting that vibe too. And it makes me so sad because she was just, I mean, who knows if she would have been safer if she wasn't at home, whoever wanted to get her probably would have found her there. But all this stress from all of the things that she normally enjoyed are causing her to want to give up everything she cares about. And it makes me fucking sad that that's what was going on in her life before she died yeah but also it could lead to depression could. so maybe that's why all this sad shit is happening i could and we in this chapter with her wondering if cassandra would buy a burner phone and follow her around town to send her intimidating text would she do anything worse like to her or her family and i'm like hmm, would she would she? Would Marty?
1: And then I wonder, Cassandra's been following her around, so Cassandra could have ruled out that Meredith was cheating on her husband. Right. Like, Easily. why are you
0: following her when the fucking okay obviously she's not following them when marty is sneaking out to do his affair because she's home alone with the kids but like yeah. who does she does she have the kids when she's following meredith around the town or is she leaving marty at home to watch the kids while she goes and does her stalking shit like i have so many questions when you're a criminal with young children how much are they involved in
1: I yes guess.
0: <laughs> yeah so she's fucking crazy she's definitely a suspect or like I don't even know she's definitely a suspect I just don't imagine pretty little Cassandra stabbing somebody in the gut though oh and like having Eddie and whatever her name that couple as a contact and do you remember we'll talk about it we'll we'll talk about it okay coming up soon so we're in A chapter with Leo now on page 244. And uh, he has to go back to school. He kind of mentions that the babysitter was fucking awful. He walks past and he can't do that without feeling like he needs to dry heave. And we learn that Piper Hanukkah goes to his school. Yeah. So he's getting teased a lot. And he decides he's going to punch one of these fucking kids in the face. And Piper stops him. They end up, like, talking. And... It's it's interesting because we learned that she goes to the same school, but her family moved five days after Delilah and Meredith went missing. Suspect. Suspect. Not before Cassandra gave a weird story to Kate and B about seeing people outside of their house. I mean, I'm not saying that we've already had one character trying to give us a false lead to throw us off their track, (laughs) Jason Tebow, looking at you, but we have. Piper is like a cool kid, and it's like very charitable that she's over here talking to him at all and telling Leo to ignore all the bullies and stuff, but it's very sad. And apparently, these kids are like sharing all the pictures of her all over Snapchat and Instagram and how she has like bleach burns all over her arms and her clothes don't fit. And she's just unbathed, and the kids are being mean about it. But since he got to talk to Piper, he just kind of remembers in that way that he doesn't remember, but people have told him it's true that Piper and Delilah used to be inseparable besties. And Piper, in the middle of 246, wonders if they would still be friends if delilah wouldn't have gone missing and piper wouldn't have moved away and i'm like hmm no piper you don't know that your mom hated meredith did she not tell you weird weird right mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really weirded out that they moved within five days and then didn't even tell the kid. Like, they let the kid believe that everything was fine. Like, Cassandra manipulated her entire little friend group when she was a child for her personal reasons and didn't tell her. But, I, I yeah. mean, I guess you wouldn't. Piper only stopped him from punching that kid so he wouldn't get expelled. And I'm like, would being expelled be the worst thing for you?
1: Mm-hmm. This school and,
0: sounds fucking shitty. It does.
1: And so, in 247, we also learned that Leo had asked Josh to put their house on the market because he just wanted to start over. But Josh didn't want to because...
0: He wanted to be in the same place if Delilah ever came back. And I get that. I imagine that Josh wasn't going through the same, like, alienation with his peers that Leo was. Because, like, I imagine that adults are probably going to be a lot more understanding to the fact that if your family members go missing, you're going through a stressful time and it's not the time to make you feel unhuman and unwelcome, you know? Yeah. So he probably didn't even understand the struggles that Leo was going through, plus he probably had no idea that some shit was going on at Charlotte's. Exactly. Because it doesn't sound... Wait, no! He might have known about that because Meredith did show him the bruise. So hopefully we get some closure on that, I'm sure we will. Now we're in Kate's chapter, 11 years before. 248, the last 18 pages of our reading. Yep, we're not going to talk to any of the other characters for the rest of this episode. No.
1: Uh, This one was actually really anxiety-inducing. So Kate- <laughs> I, mean, I couldn't
0: even talk at the beginning of this episode because I had read this like an hour before and I was rattled.
1: <laughs> so Kate and B get home, but they pull in through, I guess there's alleyways in the back of the house so they can pull into their garage.
0: Yeah, they say that the whole neighborhood is set up like this to like keep the front looking nice. So I imagine it's a nice neighborhood with no cars parked on the street because the driveways are in the back. Sounds fancy. When they're pulling in, Josh is pulling in at the same time and he looks... A little worse for wear. His shirt's not tucked in. His pants are falling off because um, he doesn't have a belt. And I'm assuming he's lost weight in the few, past few days. And he went out searching for the girls by himself, even though the search party wasn't working today. He put his son in daycare and hadn't seen his dog all day because he just can't sit down and feel listless while his family is out there. And it's still raining. B and K offer to
1: take Wyatt. They say that Josh needs to get Leo and spend some time with Leo.
0: Yeah, because they're... Leo
1: is also his family
0: yeah and they're a little put off that Leo doesn't know what's going on like he thinks Meredith's at work and that Delilah's sick and yeah. they're like you need to like try to explain some stuff to him he's a smart kid and you know I agree with them and I think about this a lot like just lying to your kids in general about like, f- like Santa and stuff like putting on big lies to your kids for a long long time some psychiatrists think that like <laughs> causes them to mistrust people In their later life. And this feels like one like my mom went to work and then we were at her funeral. Like it feels like one that would facilitate some mistrust later in life. Yeah. They go and get the dog to walk him so Josh can go hang out with his son. And they're just having like a normal night in. I mean, not yet. Kate has to take a shower because she just got fucking sexually assaulted almost at the OB's office. And all the men are working so she has to like go into the shower the only shower that's working the bathroom that she shares with all the men workers in the house and lock the door and hop in the shower and she's just talking about how weird it feels and I would fucking hate that I would, too. But she gets dressed. She goes downstairs. B and Wyatt, the dog, are just getting back from their walk. So they end up, like, sitting down. The workers have left. They're going to have some wine. And B is still on her. I don't think Dr. Feingold is a killer. I think he's just a creep and a bad doctor. And I think he just pretended he didn't know Meredith because she's a witness against him. Which makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. Very logical. You know, they're just talking about all the shit that's going on and how awkward and awful that visit was and how maybe it wasn't illegal or maybe not even unethical even though I kind of would argue that maybe it was unethical but probably what happens happens to a lot of people and probably she shouldn't think this guy's a murderer over it they decide to call the police and tell them about all the information they've got because they they talked to Cassandra they haven't told the police about that they also talked to the doctor and they talked to the doula Jeanette so they call the cops and tell them about all the stuff that they've learned at this point I'm like Is Cassandra's story a lie to, like, put everybody off her trail? Which I've already told you, but yeah we're reminded at this point that maybe there's a red herring the cops of course are going to look into it though they got to look into everything and they're like most security systems do not record stuff that like they don't save the footage that long so we're probably not going to get anything so we are going to look but don't get your hopes up and I'm like okay well this would take some time away from them the cops obviously are like you shouldn't have gone to that doctor you crazy people like let the cops do the detectiving but yes (laughs) they end up telling him everything and then they get off the phone and boom the power goes out in the whole fucking house and right after the power goes out a door slams upstairs and (laughs) i hate when the power goes out she even talks about how like eerily quiet and unnaturally quiet it is because like all of your appliances turn off like of course they're like shit that door was scary but it was probably just like the workers left a window open the door slammed upstairs It it was just the wind it's storming and b is trying to be like you know Rational. Rational, but Kate is two glasses of wine and she's been going through a lot of stuff and she's stressed out. So she goes over to the umbrella stand to get a weapon and she looks looks
1: across, looks outside her window and sees the neighbors across the street have power and so now she thinks it's just their house
0: yes and she's talking about how the circuit breaker is outside a metal box it's like recessed into the wall she says so she's like somebody must have slipped into her backyard and cut the circuit circuit breaker purposely and the only way to turn it back on is to go back out there and turn it on manually and she's also mentioning how it's like Camouflaged and not easy to find. They painted it the same color as the house so nobody would be able to find it or like see it, you know? And she's obviously thinking the fucking worst. And B hasn't realized that they're the only ones with no power yet. So she points across the way. Of course, they look straight into Cassandra and Marty's house and they're having a fucking fight. And I'm like, okay, yeah, just the regular, normal, nightly Cassandra and Marty fight because their marriage is not as perfect on the outside as they want everybody to think. Yeah. And B's like, what am I looking at here? And Finally, she realizes that those people across the street have power, and Kate's like, somebody broke into our house and shut the main breaker off. Now Kate's assuming somebody's in the bo- in the house because next to the box is a key. Now they both have to – they don't want to go out separately or wait in the house by themselves, so they both go outside to turn the circuit breaker back on. And it seems like they didn't bring any – Flashlights or anything. It's just them out in the rain, freezing to death. They get to the circuit breaker. They're talking about how creepy the neighborhood is because there's so many trees and they're both like looking left and right and behind them. And it's like just so fucking stressful. I'm sure you can think of a time where you were this scared about something. Kate hears footsteps behind her and breathing and she turns around, notices somebody's there. It freaks her the fuck out. So she just punches them as hard as she fucking can in the stomach and they double over and it's fucking Josh. (laughs) And I'm like, Josh. Announce yourself, motherfucker. You can't just sneak up on women in the dark. Oh my gosh, she knocked the wind out of him. Good. That's what you get. You need to you can't just be sneaking up on women.
1: It was at this point where all of Kate's grief and everything that she's been going through finally wells up and she just cries.
0: Yeah. I mean, not before she starts wondering if Josh killed Meredith and if yeah. he's there to kill her and why is he in their yard in the middle of the night and like he tells them like our whole side of the street is out. It's not just your house. So there's nobody in the in there. It was just their overactive imagination and a tree fell down and messed up the power. And Josh came over to pick up his dog, who they still have. But like, this is where your mind goes when you're in the middle of some crazy fucking criminal shit. Yes. Oh, this is where they find out that the blood in the garage did not belong to Meredith or Delilah after they stopped Wondering if Josh is a killer, of course. They also find out that the blood is not old. It's not Delilah or Meredith's, and it's also only been there a few days, according to the forensics. Interesting. And that's how that chapter ends. And that's how our reading ends.
1: says something happened in that garage, but we don't know what it was.
0: Yes, exactly. And I think that it was a catfight between Cassandra and Meredith because Cassandra doesn't want to see reason because she was just presented with some facts she didn't like and she's angry right now, which I understand. I understand. Me too. So what's your theory? All right, let me pull it up. Okay, you got it all typed up for me. I'm excited.
1: I do. Obviously, Dr. Feingold did not kill Meredith or Shelby. I think Cassandra killed Shelby because she found out about the affair and framed Shelby's husband. I also think Cassandra enlisted Charlotte to harm Leo and hurt Meredith and kidnapped Delilah. I think the reason Mary keeps mentioning the garage being soundproof is because whoever blood is in Josh's garage probably would have screamed and
0: since B is a musician and her garage is soundproof, she didn't hear it interesting interesting so you think cassandra's the mastermind behind everyone's death i, I do. could see it i could see it and jason tebow is just such a big dumb idiot that you could frame him
1: yeah i think she probably held on to the clothes and then when they found the body she's like all right let me go dump this
0: yeah right i i honestly don't even know what to think like it's got to be a character that we know right she's not gonna introduce a character we don't know yet how does Cassandra know Eddie and Martha those were the people that were kidnapping had Delilah the whole time yeah that's the part that's bothering me who knew those people to give the kid to them that's that's what I want to know like we're not gonna know until we read the rest of the book no
1: um we have 100 pages left
0: Yeah, I just, I don't even have any theories like this. My only theory was that they weren't connected and they're not connected. And now I'm just like, I don't know. Maybe Meredith did kill herself. Maybe. I don't believe that, though. I just don't think women go around knifing themselves in the gut because their first cut didn't work. I don't think so either.
1: I think if you are determined to kill yourself, you are going to.
0: And I mean, Meredith is like medical professional adjacent. Yeah, If she wanted to slit her wrists, she would know what it would take. And she would probably also know that like a stomach wound, you don't want to die by stomach wound because when you get stabbed in your stomach, if if something cuts your stomach open, the stomach acid and the bile go out into all your other organs. So if you bleed to death from a stomach wound, you're also like feeling all that stomach acid go into all of your other organs. Like it's an excruciating death. And I just can't imagine that a medically professional adjacent person would choose to kill themselves in that way. Not at all. So I don't think it was suicide. I think cops like to say suicide when they don't know what to do and they need to close the case soon. So
1: That's what I think too. But we'll finish it and we'll be back in two weeks to
0: talk about it. Yes, I can't wait.